Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. For the next four Sundays, or three after today, these four weeks, these four Sundays in December, I want to unpack for you the four Christmas carols that we find in the Word of God. Uh, how many, you know, whenever you think about Christmas, you always think about singing, right? I mean, I mean, Christmas and, and singing are almost synonymous. It's a joyful time of year. It's a time to come together and celebrate. It's a time for music and singing of the, of the Christmas carols and the joyous season and the time of year. And that's what I enjoyed about this song a while ago. They sang it so upbeat and it just it puts a smile on your face if you didn't even know the words. Just the tempo and the beat and the music, it, it's an exciting song. Well, that's Christmas time. And, and why is that? It, it just go, it's just synonymous. It's a joyful time of year. And we sing Christmas carols all the time. Matter of fact, after we decorated, and I know it got late and some folks had to leave, but uh, we did gather in here and we turned out all the lights and just had our Christmas lights on and, and we sang, I don't know, eight or so different Christmas carols and, and it was just an exciting time to be able to do that. We're going to be singing Christmas songs every Sunday from now all the way to Christmas. Christmas Eve service, we'll sing a couple more Christmas songs. This Thursday evening uh, at the Cambridge House, I know Patty was working with the kids doing the bells and they're going to be doing some Christmas songs songs there. We're going to have our Christmas Eve candlelight service, be doing some Christmas songs there. The radio stations are playing Christmas music and at 102.5, I think they started a, a two or three, maybe a month or so ago, playing Christmas music. I mean, it's just everywhere. This is the season for joyful music and singing and celebrating together as you move into the Christmas season. Matter of fact, we, my family and I and, and some others, we, we've gone to the Belleville Christmas Parade. We went to the O'Fallon Christmas Parade this past Friday, Saturday evening, Friday evening. We went to the uh, Mascuda Christmas Parade. Guys, I've been to three Christmas parades and all the Christmas parades, they're singing Christmas carols and it wasn't even December yet. I mean, it wasn't December until yesterday, right? And, and so it's just this time of year when you celebrate together and, and you're worshiping together and you're singing these hymns and singing these songs and singing these Christmas carols. Well, I want to ask you a question. I've already kind of let the cat out of the bag here, and you may already know the answer now if you've been paying attention up to this point. But, but where did Christmas carols begin? Do we go back in America's history to discover the very first Christmas carol? No, it goes back a lot further than that. What about merry old England? Do we go back to merry old England and find the beginning of the Christmas carols and the original Christmas carols? No, it goes way back further than that. It, it goes way back further than America. It goes way back further to Europe. It goes all the way back into the gospel of Luke chapter 1. And here you'll find where Dr. Luke penned for us and shared with us these very first Christmas carols carols. Now, he shares with us four Christmas carols. Now, I'm not going to give you the history behind these carols, but 
but briefly, you, you, you know that the scripture was, was, was translated from the original language into Latin for many years. And, and many of these songs, especially in your more orthodox style churches like your Catholic churches, Episcopalian churches, and, and some Lutheran churches, they are very familiar with these songs in the Latin. Matter of fact, well, I went and um, I googled, I got on YouTube and I searched for these four different songs in Latin on YouTube, and there's some beautiful, beautiful music, beautiful choruses, beautiful songs, beautiful Christmas carols of these four original songs on YouTube, and I encourage you to listen to that. It just kind of gets you in the right frame of mind whenever you're thinking about what was really transpiring. But in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1 and chapter number 2, the four songs, first one is Mary's song, and we find that in Luke chapter 1 in verse 48 through through 55, and I'm not going to go there and unpack that one today. I will visit that one again on another Sunday. And then we find Zechariah's song, which is where we're going to be, in Luke chapter 1 in verse 67 through 80. And this is, this is the song, the Benedictus, and that's the Latin word for, for blessed, okay? And, and that's the one we're going to unpack today and look into. And then you'll find the angel song in Luke chapter 2 in verse number 14. We're going to unpack that one on another Sunday, and that's the Gloria in Excelsis song that you're very familiar with, and, and you, you will discover that that came straight from Scripture, straight from the Word of God. And then we're going to find Simeon's song, his Christmas carol in Luke chapter 2 in verse verse 29, and that's the nunc, the nunc, nunc dementis is what that is in the Latin, and we'll unpack that one a little bit later as we get into that song. But here I want you to see these four Christmas carols that we find right around the nativity, right around Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, and it's the very first Christmas carols, and I think we as Christians and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ need to go back and see what was taking place in these Christmas carols and these Christmas songs. So let's look at Zechariah's Christmas song, the, the Benedictus, the blessed Christmas carol that he sang and, and broke out in singing whenever this event was unfolding. But first of all, let's, let's look at two facts about Zechariah. So if you know your Bible and you, you hear the name Zechariah, you, you may think, yeah, that was an, an Old Testament prophet. And, and there is a book in the Old Testament called Zechariah, and there is an Old Testament prophet, but that is not this Zechariah, okay? This Zechariah was a priest. Now, you're going to see, see that he was extremely steeped in Old Testament uh, tradition and, and the way he spoke and all that he was talking about, and they were still, although it's in the gospel, although it's in the book of Luke, it's still an Old Testament period of, that was taking place prior to the coming of Jesus Christ and then, of course, ultimately 33 and a half years later to his, his crucifixion where the gospel really starts being preached and the, and the conception of the church began. So although we're in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 2, it still has a tremendous amount of Old Testament history and Old Testament verbiage and it sounds a whole lot like the book of Psalms and it sounds a whole lot like the prophets of old because it really is still in that time frame. So I want you to see that first of all that the writer of this Christmas carol whenever we look at uh, this is Zechariah and he was an Old Testament priest and I read that scripture to you earlier. Now do you remember the story about Zechariah? You, you remember how I read the scripture and he went in and he was offering up incense at the altar and for the forgiveness of the people and they were all out there praying and he was visited by an angel and, and the angel told him that Zechariah you and your wife you're going to have a son and, and the angel even told him what you're going to name this son. His name's going to be John and, and the angel even told him what this son's going to do and, and you remember how Zechariah didn't what? Yeah, I don't know if I believe that. 
You know, I'm an old man, he said. Elizabeth, my wife, in all due respect, she's an old woman. I just don't see us being able to have a child. You remember what happened because of his unbelief? You remember what happened to him? Somebody shout it out to me. Do you remember? He lost his speech. He can no longer talk for nine months. Matter of fact, he came out and the Bible says that he was signing. I don't know, maybe there's the first place for sign language. I don't know, maybe. I'm sure it went on back further than that. But he came out and he was trying to sign something and, and because he could not speak because he did not believe the message that the angel was giving him that day about his son. So he's trying to communicate and, 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 and no doubt he realizes that, man, this was really Gabriel, the angel from God that came and visited me that day when I was just going through my religious activity. So that's the first fact. The second fact, I've already alluded to this one briefly. You're going to see in this Christmas carol that it's, it's steeped in a tremendous amount of Old Testament verbiage and doctrine and lineage, if you will. I mean, it's really steeped in that because Zechariah was really an Old Testament priest carrying out the way that they worshiped God prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Now, here's something else I want you to realize, and I'll, I'll talk more about this a little bit later. You know, it had been 400 years since God's people had heard from God. And they're carrying out their religious activities faithfully week after week, month after month, year after year. They're carrying out their religious activities. And for 400 years, they had not heard from God. That's why, to me, what's very interesting about this Christmas carol is that the theme of the Christmas carol... Does anybody know what the theme of this Christmas carol is? By the fact, let's just go there and read it real quick. In Luke chapter 1, I want you to look in verse 68 is where the carol begins. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 68. Let's start in verse 67. It says, Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Now this Christmas carol came when John was eight days old. The birth of John has now taken place. He was, Zechariah was silent for nine months. He did not speak. All of a sudden, Elizabeth gave birth to John. That was going to be the forerunner of the, of the Christ child, the Lord Jesus Christ. Eight days later, Zechariah now is holding this child. So as we're, as we're going through this Christmas carol, I want you to get the picture that he's standing there now. Now he can speak. Now he can talk, now he is worshiping, now he is praising, holding his baby boy John that was told to him by an angel that he and Elizabeth would bear and would have. Now he's singing forth praises to God in this very first Christmas carol. And in verse number 68, he says, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. I think that's a key word you need to understand right there. The, key, the word is visited. That's the theme of this Christmas carol is that God has visited his people. That God has not forgotten his people. Remember, 400 years they had not heard from God at all. Nothing. Now, some of us go four days without feeling like we've heard from God. Or maybe like we're distant from God. Or maybe like our prayers aren't being heard. Can you imagine 400 years God's been silent? 
And all of a sudden now, he visits his people. So Zechariah is breaking out in this praise, in this Christmas carol, because of what's transpired, how God has visited his people and provided redemption for them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, in verse 69, in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the clutches of those who hate us, he has dealt merciful, mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, he has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from our enemy's clutches to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in the presence of all of our days. And child, now, picture now, he's breaking forth in praise. He's holding John, his eight-day-old son, in his hands. And now, as he turned forth his praise from God and to the people, now he looks to his child that he's holding in verse 76, and he says, And child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the, through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from our high will, here it is, visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Guys, right there is your very first Christmas carol that was taking place. It's Zachariah's um, praise to God for what was taking place and how God was what? Visiting. Everybody say visit. How God was visiting his people. That's the theme of this Christmas carol. They're praising God because he had not forgot his people and he had and was visiting them. The same word we find here translated visit, we find also in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25 in verse number 36. You remember this when Jesus said, I was sick and you what? Visited me? That's the same word. It has the idea, because you are in great pain, because you are suffering, and because you are in misery, because you feel neglected, because you're having this tremendous pain in your life, I am going to make a visit to you to try to encourage you. That's what's taking place with this, with this theme, with this Christmas carol. How many, whenever someone really close to you, maybe a family member or an extended family member or a really close friend or maybe a co-worker that you're really close with and, and, and they lose a family member, someone in their family dies, what's the first thing we usually do? We go to them, right? We either go to their house or we go to their, their cubicle, their office or wherever. We want to get to them. Why? Because we want to share in their grief. We want to visit them to try to comfort them. That's exactly what Zechariah is praising here because God, while the Jewish people were in this misery, if you will, while they have not heard from God for 400 years, now God has visited them. God, get this. Man, this excites me. I, I was out here yesterday afternoon by myself, and I was just kind of working around the church and cleaning up and hanging a few things, just kind of tinkering around out here. And, and I went out, and I, I went to Dairy Queen, by the way, which is the closest ice cream shop, right? Dairy Queen, that was a part of trivia last night, but it wasn't the closest. It was the first one. But yeah, I went to Dairy Queen, and I got me a sandwich stuff, and I came back out here, and I just sat on the curb down there in front of our building, and I was just sitting by myself eating my sandwich and just thanking God for what he's been doing in our lives. And, and I started thinking, God, you visited us. 
you have come to us. In the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, you, you came for us. And he came because he knew we needed him. He came because we were, of all people, miserable without him. And he came to visit us. Guys, let that settle in. You see, you're going to miss everything that Christmas is all about if you miss the point that God has chosen to visit his people. Christmas, and you know, and I'm, I'm not against singing jingle bells and going caroling, which by the way, we're going to be doing that on Sunday, December 16th, and gathering together as a church family. We're going to go out and do Christmas carols and come back and have hot chocolate and, and marshmallows and whatever else, and we're going, to, we're going to do all of that. But Christmas is so much more than that. Guys, it's really about understanding that God has visited his people, right? That he's come to us because we are in great need of him. That God has at long last visited his people. So uh, let's, let's real quickly, and I'm going to try, and I probably already gave you way too much of an introduction, but I want you to get this, okay? I want, I want you to see this, this Christmas carol and, and what Zachariah is praising God about. There's five things, actually five facts that we see about this divine visitation and the blessings that flow from it that I want you to see. And they're in this Christmas carol here in verse 68 down through verse number 79. Let's look at them real quick. I'm going to give you five things. I want you to jot these down on the back of your bulletin. Turn that over and you can jot down these five things. And I'm going to hit them relatively quickly. I mean, I've got five facts I'm going to share with you. Under each one of the five facts, there's three or four different things. So I cannot park and stay very long. I'm going to hit them and go, but I want you to see these five facts of what this visitation is all about and the blessings that flow from this visitation, which gives us a tremendous idea of why Zechariah broke forth in praise in this Christmas carol, okay? So the first fact is this. I want you to jot this down. Number one. I want you to see its saving purpose. In this divine visitation, I want you to see its saving purpose. Here, if you look in verses 68, 69, 71, 74, 77, if you look in these verses, you're going to see how Zechariah starts focusing on the fact that God has come to earth or is coming to earth. And this, of course, is John, the forerunner of the Messiah that is to come. Listen, every, every Old Testament Jew knew that there was a promise that the Messiah was coming and that John was going to be the forerunner. Zechariah knew that, that God had visited his people and the reason that he was going to send his son Jesus was because we needed to be saved. And I want you to see its saving purpose. In verse number 68, you have to jot this down real quickly. In verse number 68, you're going to see that he came to redeem his people. It says that he has provided redemption for his people. In verse number 69, it says he came to raise up this horn of salvation that he came and gave to his people. In verse number 71, it says that he has come to save us from our enemies. Look in that verse. Salvation from our enemies. Then in verse number 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. He, he came to save us from our enemies. Then in verse number 77, he's come to forgive us of our sins. Think about that. And Zacharias broke forth in praise because of the saving purpose and the reason that God is visiting his people is to redeem them and bring them the horn of salvation and to save them and to forgive them and us of our sins. And that caused him to break forth in praise. Guys, listen, God just didn't visit his people just for the sake of coming down and having fellowship. 
He visited his people because he knew they had a need. And what their need was was salvation. And guys, we still have that need today. And we need God to visit us. Why? Because we need to be a redeemed people. Hello? We need to be able to have peace with our enemies, right? We need God in our life. And there's not a person in here. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your career may be. I don't care what, how much money you have in your bank account. There's not a person in here that does not need God. We all need Him. And God realized that. And that's why He sent John to be the forerunner. Ultimately he sent His Son. We'll see that in another Christmas carol. Why? Because He knew that we needed to be redeemed. The greatest need... Of all mankind is a savior. And that's what we need. Hello? And that's why Zechariah broke out in this praise. So not only do we see its saving purpose. Fact number two. Jot this one down. I want you to see its predicted fulfillment. Listen, this was predicted. Zechariah knew what the Old Testament prophets had been preaching. He knew what the forefathers had been talking about. He knew that this was predicted and God at long last now has kept his promise. So Zechariah now is focusing on three things about the promise of the Messiah. I want you to look in verses 70 and 72 and 73 and you'll be able to jot these down real quickly. In verse 70 it says, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. You see, this visit that Zechariah is praising God for was promised by the prophets of old. They had talked about this. They had prophesied about this. And then in verse number 72, because it was cherished by the fathers to show mercy to our fathers. And then in verse number 73, it was guaranteed by the oath to Abraham to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Guys, listen, the point is clear. God had promised, he had promised all down through time to his people that he would send a Messiah, that Jesus Christ would come. And John now is going to be the forerunner of the promise. And Zechariah knew that it was all starting to unfold right before his eyes. Here's the, here's the thing, guys. This is no small thing. This is huge. This is a tremendous, pivotal point in all of history. Which, by the way, if you break history down, it's his story. It's all about Jesus. Even the atheist, every day if they write a check anymore and they date it or any time they put the date on anything, they are acknowledging the day that God visited his people. Hello? 2012 dates back to after the birth of Christ. Hello? So whether you believe or not, you're acknowledging that this was a big ordeal. This was no small thing that was taking place. God is visiting his people. And there's more I can say about that, but, but I need to move on. Fact number three is this. I want you to see that it's transforming enablement. Listen, in verse 74... Verse 75, and then back again in verse number 74. Zechariah speaks about the transformation. I'm, we're just unpacking this Christmas carol. I want you to see how he breaks forth in praise, speaking about the transforming power that comes as a result of trusting in Jesus and the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah eventually coming. In verse number 74, he's, his coming gives them this emotional transformation. Look what it says in verse number 74. It says, we will serve him without fear. 
In other words, God's people were living in a, in a state of fearfulness. And now it says because of John being the forerunner of the coming of the Messiah, which had been promised, now we will be able to serve God without fear. And then in verse number 75, there's this ethical holiness, if you will, or transformation, because it says in verse 75 that in holiness and in righteousness we'll be able to serve him all of our days. In other words, we can be a holy people. Guys, there's a transformation that takes place when we accept Christ as our Savior. Fear is removed. We as Christians and as believers in Jesus Christ do not need to live our life in fear. Hello? I mean, Fox News, if you listen to Fox News, man, those guys are scared to death. Hello? Man, I've been watching those guys. And it seems like the sky is falling. Everything you hear from those guys, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Well, yeah, it's been falling for a whole long time. Hello? But I'm not fearful of the coming of the end. Why? Because my faith is not anchored in any politician. Are you listening to me, church? My faith is not anchored in any politician, Democrat or Republican. Hello? My peace comes in knowing that all is well with my soul because of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever I see all that's, un- that's taking place in the Middle East and I see the unfolding that's going on over there, yeah, it raises my eyebrows. And yes, I'm paying attention because it excites me because, oh man, I look at Scripture and I know what Scripture teaches about what's going to take place over there. And I'm like, man, this thing is unfolding. Right before my eyes. It's kind of exciting to me. Maybe not to you. I get kind of excited. I think, man, the whole world's fixing to turn on Israel. Well, you know what happens when the whole world turns on Israel. <laughs> God stands up. Hello? He comes down. He protects his people. And, and you know, I'm on his team. And I've read the end. We win. Hello? This transforming enablement as a result of this divine visitation. There's this emotional transformation. I can now serve him without fear. And we as God's people in this day and age should be serving him without fear. Hello? Why? Because of the transformation that takes place through having a relationship with Jesus Christ. This ethical transformation. I'm not like the world. Listen, I don't hang out and do what the world does. There's an ethical difference. I'm a man that tries to live right. I try to live holy. I give you my word. I try not to lie. I try not to stress the truth. I don't steal. I I don't murder. I'm, I'm not into manipulating people for my advantage. I'm trying to be honest and upright. Why? Because of the ethical transformation that took place in my life because of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that took place as a result of this divine visitation that Zechariah is praising God about. Somebody needs to say amen. That's good preaching. Hello? We all should be living like that. This ethical transformation. If you see somebody drops $5, don't pick it up and hope nobody saw you and stick it in your pocket. Find out who it belongs to. It's not yours. Hello? 
If a clerk gives you back too much money this Christmas while you're Christmas shopping, you be sure to let her know. Let me tell you why. Because most of the time, and I don't know how it is everywhere, but I know some places where my wife worked, especially when she worked at the post office, if she came up short, that money came out of her pocket. And whenever I see these clerks there, man, they're just either high school kids or, or they're just college kids trying to work their way through college. Don't steal from them. If they give you back too much change, which by the way, if you're dealing cash, most people don't even know how to count that stuff anymore especially the younger generation right man you watch them you give them a 50 and they got to give you some change they're like oh you can see it oh panic how do I give change they're probably going to make a mistake and when they do because of the ethical transformation that should be taking place in your life because you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and he has transformed you as a result of this divine visitation give the money back it's the right thing to do. Man, I heard a sermon many years ago. Oh, it's 30 years ago. I guess I heard this sermon. And I heard it by... ...that he preached. I think my battery may have died. I heard this message that he preached. And, and the message was this. Do right. If the stars fall, do right. And man, that settled in my spirit. And I just started listening to that. I started living by that. And I think, you know what? I don't care what the consequences are. I'm going to do the right thing. If the stars fall, I'm going to do what's right. Why? Because it's the ethical thing to do. And there's that ethical transformation that takes place in our life as a result of this divine visitation. And all that's a result of the spiritual transformation that Zechariah talks about in verse 74. When he says, we have been, I love this word, rescued. <laughs> We've been rescued. Because of Jesus. Oh, that's good stuff. Man. Zechariah makes it clear. Get this, guys. That Jesus Christ came to redeem us, to rescue us, and to call us into his service. And when we've been redeemed, and when we've been rescued, then the next step for us is to be in ministry and service for our Lord. Let me just say this. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you are not involved in ministry, then I just call you a spiritual freeloader. There's more God wants you to be doing than just enjoying heaven one day. Hello? A lot of people go through life and think, why am I even here? I'll tell you why you're here. Why, listen, why did God just not take us to heaven the minute we accept him as our Savior? Why, why didn't we do it? When we pray the sinner's prayer, we say, God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were buried for three days. I believe you rose again. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you lived a sinless life. I believe all of that. I accept you as my Savior. Boom! Why didn't he just kill us right then and take us to heaven? I mean, we're ready, right? You know why? Because he has something he wants you to do. He has a ministry he wants you to be involved in. There's a life that he wants you to touch. There's somebody, there's something that God wants you to do. You see, we are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouthpiece. We are his arms. There may be a hug that you need to be given somebody. There may be a word of encouragement that you need to share with somebody. There may be a phone call that you need to pick it up and you need to talk to somebody. We need to be in God's ministry. And when we're in his ministry, then we're in the center of his will. And we preached on this last week. Are y'all with me? Oh, I hope you are. He came. He came 
so that we can be transformed spiritually, so we can be transformed emotionally, so we can be transformed ethically, so we can live without fear while we're doing service for our King. He came to save us. He came to redeem us. He came to call us into His service, to be part of His army, to be on His team, to carry out His will. Mm. Fact number four. Let me get off of that one. Man, that's a whole message in itself. Fact number four. A result of this divine visitation is that we see its prepared forerunner. Now, this is where it turns a little bit. And if you look there, I, I draw your attention to that when, when he turns in verse number 76. And he says, and child, now he turns. He's holding his boy. This boy that he did not believe he would ever have. That he did not believe the angel Gabriel when he came and told him. This boy now is eight days old. And he's going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Look what it says. And child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Zachariah knew what God's plan was for his boy. And how did he know that? If you go back to Luke chapter 1, and you see the scripture I read to you earlier, in verse number 13, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John, and there will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will never drink wine or beer. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. And many will turn, or he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous. To make ready for the Lord a prepared people. You see, Zechariah had already been in a meeting with God and his angel about his will for this boy that was to come. And now, as a result of that, Zechariah is looking down at his boy, Zachar- his boy John, and he's saying, this is what you're going to be. You're going to be a prophet in verse number 76. You're going to be a prophet of God, verse 76. You will prepare the way of the Lord, verse 76b. In verse 77, you will proclaim the knowledge of salvation by preaching the forgiveness of sin. And we know that this baby that's eight days old in the arms and the hands of Zechariah, his father, turned out to be this preacher that came out of the wilderness that preached about the Lord Jesus Christ. Get ready. Prepare your hearts. Repent. For Jesus Christ is coming. He was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember his statement that I guess he's classically known for? Behold. You remember this? While John's preaching and baptizing, all of a sudden Jesus now steps on the stage at 30 years old or so. Starting to begin his public ministry. And John's been preaching. And John's knowing that he's coming. And he's ready to come on the scene. And he's been baptizing. And man, I got goosebumps all over my neck just thinking about this. And all of a sudden he stops. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the earth. 
John knew what his role was. And it was to point men and women and children to the Lamb of God. Mm. And his father at eight days old is holding him. And he said, John, you're going to be a prophet. Mm. It's not going to be easy, John. Matter of fact, he wound up losing his life over it, you remember? John, it's not going to be easy, but you're God's man. You're going to go. And you're going to prepare a way. People haven't heard for years from God, but he's chosen you. And he's chosen your mother. And he's chosen me. And now we send you. Can you imagine? I don't know. I get a little bit emotional when I think about it. Could you ima- put yourself in that picture? What was happening? Mm. The prepared forerunner. A prophet. To prepare the way for God. To preach the forgiveness of sin. Ultimately gave his life for it. But I think if Zechariah had it to do over and Elizabeth had it to do over, I think they'd do it all again. Because there's nothing more peaceful than being in the center of God's will. Knowing that God has his hand on you. Man, that's good stuff. He was a prophet. He was a a preacher. He was a preparer. Eight days old, his father spoke into his life. Fact number five, I'm closing with this one. The impact. This liberating impact of this divine invitation, the tremendous blessings that flow out of this Christmas carol. In verse 78 and verse 79, I want you to see that it's light to those who are in darkness. Zechariah says, the dawn from on high will visit us. It's pardon to those who condemn to death. Verse 79, to shine on those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death. In verse 79b, to guide our feet into the way of peace. It brings guidance for those that are lost. And don't know the way. I wonder as our musicians come. We prepare for an invitation. And I want you to think about this. I think if we could look at Christmas. If we could look at Christmas through the eyes of Zechariah. I think it changed the way we view Christmas. 400 years. The people of God. His chosen people. Had not heard from him. And now. While Zechariah is just going about his faithful, religious obligation and duty, God visits him. Are you prepared this Christmas season for God to visit you? Think about the whole reason we celebrate it. It's because of this divine visitation that God has not forgotten his people. He visited them. You see, you may be thinking, well, how's that even relevant to me today? I understand that back in Zechariah's day. What does that do for me today? I'll tell you what it does. If God has not forgotten his people after 400 years of silence and then broke forth and prepared a way and eventually sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of the entire world, I want you to know today that our God is sovereign He's in control. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And He knows about you. And He cares about you. And He sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost at the conception of the church 
which we're in that church age now, he sent his Holy Spirit as a paraclete, one that comes alongside to minister to you. Because I believe that one of the attributes that Jesus, God the Son, the second Godhead of the Trinity, I believe that one of the attributes that he gave up to come to this earth to die was his attribute of being omnipresent. In other words, being everywhere. You see, God is a spirit, as it teaches us. God, Jesus came and dwelt in the flesh, incarnate. And it says on the cross that he shed his blood. And I believe that Jesus is now in his glorified body after the resurrection Matter of fact, he revealed himself for some 40 days. Hundreds of people saw him. And there's only two man-made things in heaven. And that's the wounds in his hand and the wound in his feet. And I believe they're still there. And I believe he's there. And scripture says that he has taken a seat by the right hand of God the Father. And there he's making intercession for you and for me in his glorified body, flesh and bone no blood but he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us as believers as his representative if you will as his paraclete the one that could come alongside and lead us and guide us and direct us and comfort us and teach us and convict us and draw us he cares about you today and his divine visitation today comes in the form of the Spirit the Holy Spirit of God as we invite him into our heart. He cares about you today. He's got a tremendous master plan for you, for the whole world, for America, for Israel. He's in control, friends. This Christmas, why don't you view Christmas as God visiting us? This baby Jesus that we have in our nativity scene out front, just one difference between then and now. He's grown up. He's no longer a baby. He's no longer lying in a manger. Oh. He's getting ready to come back <clears throat> as supreme <clears throat> king of kings. You see, the first time he came, he came in a very peaceful state. He came to offer himself up, to die on the cross. For the sins of man. Honey, next time he comes, you, you, you'll not spit in his face. You, 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 you'll not pluck his beard. You, you will not mock him. You'll not slap him around. Matter of fact, the book teaches he'll speak. And the book teaches that the blood of those that have been slaughtered will flow to the horse's bridle. And the battle will be won. He's coming on a white horse. <laughs> One of these days. As King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. And he will sit on David's throne. Which tells me that the temple will have to be rebuilt. That's what the battle is out over now at the Gaza Strip. It's who's going to own that territory so they can rebuild the temple. But it will be rebuilt. 
it will be rebuilt before the Antichrist is revealed. So it wouldn't surprise me if we don't hear on the news that they're starting to rebuild the temple because I think that's going to have to take place. But Jesus said that I'm going to come back. Remember how God promised David that your lineage will never leave this, this throne. He'll be there. You know who is in that lineage? The Lord Jesus. And he's coming back one day to sit on that throne. And the Bible teaches us that he's going to rule and reign this earth for a thousand years. It's called the millennial reign of Christ. Get this, church. If the church is raptured out today, people often ask me, when's the end of the world? Well, I always say this. If the church is called out today, then I know, according to Scripture, that at least the world is going to be in existence as it is, this earth, those trees, this ground, this dirt, these lakes, for at least another 1,007 years. Because we know the tribulation period is going to be seven years. And then we know the millennial reign of Christ is going to be a thousand years. We know there's a short time frame in between, but at least a thousand and seven years. And you know what? Jesus is going to rule. And there's going to be peace. You've seen the pictures where the lion is laying down with the lamb. That's not up in heaven floating around on a cloud. That's here on earth during the millennial reign of Christ. Oh, we got to get into the word. That's going to take place. And then we as believers, the Bible said, are going to reign with Him. I, I want you to see that God has a plan for you. He has visited you. Have you received it? Father, right now, as I know I've gone way too long this morning. But Father, I pray you speak to our hearts. Lord, I ask that this Christmas season, May we see you like Zechariah saw you in this Christmas carol. And how the theme of it is that you visited your people. God, you have not forgotten them. Help us, God, this Christmas to know that, that you visited us. That you visit us every single day through the person of the Holy Spirit. Help us to receive you to invite you into our hearts and invite you into our lives and to invite you, invite you into this Christmas season. And If we could see Christmas the way that Zachariah saw, I think we would have such hearts of gratitude. I think there would be such a spirit of humility and such a spirit of thanksgiving. God, we're so thankful. Father, we love you. Thank you for visiting us. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois. 
1-800-242-6269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.